All right, Film Files, happy belated Independence Day to all of you. It's Tuesday, and we missed the 4th of July show by one day. We were so close. Every day is Independence Day. That's true. When you're me and Ben, every day is Independence Day. We're actually lighting sparklers right now. We're both uh, dressed as George Washington. Yeah, do you like sparklers or pop-pops better? I think pop-pops because they're more action-oriented. Yeah. And you know, I, there's more effort involved. That's true. I feel like they're more um, they're more versatile, too. You know, you ever pop one in between your fingers? Yeah, you can... You like can, Mama told you not to do? You can snap between your fingers. You can use them to scare people. I mean, the functions go on and on, you know. They're oh, very yeah. versatile. Sparklers just do one thing. They sparkle, and that's about it. Yeah, you're right. maybe your burn your once. hand. You write your name once, and you're done. Maybe burn your hand. Yeah. Although, are those legal in Illinois? They might be, but Illinois is probably not a good example. That's for, true. Well, for much of anything except how not to do things. So, um, we have a couple movies on deck that we're uh, late doing, but we put we put a pause on everything because we wanted to get as close to uh, Independence Day show as we could. So, we chose Independence Day. So... Stick with us. You're listening to 90.7. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the five bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around and pull it down. What's your favorite scary movie? You ever seen a grown man naked? Okay. Now, globby, bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! You warthog-faced... Half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! This is... Show theater. Well, I guess we should say, first of all, that this... Movie that we're doing is from 1996 and is directed by Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich, who later down the road gave us 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow. Um, so he on... knows a lot about big budget disaster flicks. Yeah, yeah. And Stargate, which is a Kurt Russell film, I like to say. Kurt Russell's my boy. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. But anyway, this, I, I was, so I'm about to turn 31, and this movie came out in 1996, so I was. 11 and uh i was i was in the prime demographic for this movie i remember seeing it in theaters and uh loving every second of it so i watched half of it like three days ago and then me and anna went and saw the sequel which i was so excited to see and then me and ben just watched the whole thing and um it was a really interesting order to to watch the two I don't really know where to start with Independence Day, but the first thing I noticed about this when I watched it is how many different reactions there are from people's faces when the when the ships are still kind of covered in the flame wall, and uh, there's like six minutes where it's just people people's reactions, like people getting out of the cars and the cars being collided. Lots of rear end collisions, including a police officer. You know. Uh, I forgot a lot about, you know, the original Independence Day because it's been so long since I've seen it. I thought it'd be hilarious if the police officer who got out of his car just started shooting at the spacecraft for no reason at all. But then what there's like taxis and then an armored car, armored truck, I mean, comes through and completely wipes out the police car. It's just 
wow, people defying logic. It's like, I see something like that in the sky. This is what Jimmy and I were talking about. Like, I see something like that in the sky. I'm just going to afford and be like, uh, I'm out of here. Unless, yeah. unless I have, like, family, you know, if it's just, hey, if it was just me and, you know, my family's somewhere else. Or if I don't have family, I'm just flooring it and doing what, you know, the people did with their uh, RV caravan, just driving into the desert or something. Yeah, there's there's people making good decisions. There's people making poor decisions. Uh, which I would be pretty pretty close to reality, and we've taught any movie that we've done between like the 1990 and 1997 period. This the suspension of disbelief Ben was talking about earlier was so much easier to come by because audiences just weren't really. Well, I guess to put it into perspective, other movies that came out in '96 were like uh, Mars Attacks, fun, funny enough, and. Twister and Mission Impossible and The Rock. Space Jam. Yeah, Space Jam, exactly. So not that these are bad movies, but they're it's just they're just they're flicks. They're fun flicks. More whimsical. And plus two, that was before you know the widespread advent of the internet, so it's not like you can before the film or after the film go and fact check every single small thing. I mean, I don't really think Independence Day was trying to be as close to uh, you know, the laws of physics is possible. You know, you hear the explosion in space, just stuff like that. You're like, yeah, well, I mean, but the biggest example that we talked about was, okay, so uh, they have the alien spacecraft. You have Dave Levinson and then, what, Stephen Hiller, Will Smith's character, and they're able to go on this mothership and... Basically, there's no firewall on the mothership. They're able to easily download a virus. You know, today, you would say, wow, their cybersecurity is, is terrible. You know, small businesses have better firewalls than, you know, these aliens with their advanced technology. But in 1996, you know, you just think, cool, the the humans had a great scheme. And David Levinson is a genius, albeit flawed one. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there, yeah, there, there's a lot of... Science away scenes. Like, how are we going to make this seem possible? Well, just just science, okay? Just a, a lots of lab testing coats and just science this away. Uh, but I, I had mentioned the reaction shots because in the new Independence Day, I'm going to try to not uh, spoil anything too much, but there's no everyman character. You know, like in the, um, the new one, everybody, every single character in the movie is either a astronaut, a fighter pilot, a president, someone on the presidential cabinet, and they don't have those reaction shots. And it just seems so cold, and it seems very, um, like, one-sided, you know? So they don't have something like a Russell? You know, like the the guy who's the underdog hero, you probably wouldn't say at the start of the film, oh, yeah, this guy's gonna turn it around. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of what made the first one so much fun is that there's, well, there's so many storylines in the first one. This was kind of silly. So there's Russell and his alcohol problem uh, played by uh, Randy Quaid. And his and his kids, too. And he had the, the wife who passed away. So you're like, okay, is that the cause of his alcoholism? You know, he has the, the sick kid. And it seems like with uh, his older son, he has some kind of business going with crop dusting where his son maybe does some of the scouting. And, you know, then Russell flies the plane whatever so there's yeah. one and then his kid has a, a disease that they don't really talk about separate with the cerebral cortex and there's a scene where they're gonna leave a randy quaid in the dust because he's a drunk 
and talking about how this kid needs the medicine and the kid comes out and smashes the medicine bottle. <laughs> and then the next scene, they're on the RV and the kid gets sick and he goes out and he's like, I'm going to be sick because you, you smashed the medicine. Well, anyway. It was funny, too, because this kid, you know, he's interrupting a fight between his older brother and father and he comes out. And in the most baby-like fashion says, I'm not a baby anymore before he smashes his bottle of essential medicine, which uh, it looked like one of the liquor bottles. Yeah, At first I thought that's what he was smashing because, like I said, I haven't watched this movie in a while. I thought he was just mad because his dad – was drunk again and that he was smashing like his one of his dad's small bottles of liquor but it turns out his medicine was in there yeah yeah so so we got plenty of time so we'll we'll really break the storyline down here <laughs> yeah. so the kid has some disease that I, I guess there were uh, a couple other scenes in the original cut that got taken out because this movie is two and a half hours long a little bit too long a little bit too long and uh the kid has this whole uh, rage fit on, I'm tired of being sick, I'm tired of taking medicine, I don't want to take medicine anymore. So he smashes his medicine, like, somebody already needed to have that talk with their kid that's like, life is not fair, I'm sorry that you've been stricken with this cerebral cortex disease, but you're gonna, you're gonna need to take medicine forever. You can't just go smashing your medicine bottles every time you're fed up with life. And so, yeah, so that's that's one storyline. And Miguel is... Obviously not Randy Quaid's son because he's Mexican and like five years younger than Randy Quaid. And then there is the president played by Bill Pullman, who I think does really good. President Um, Whitmore. President Whitmore. He sounds very aristocratic. Yeah, he does. Totally. I mean, they could have just had Bill Pullman as Bill Pullman, and I think it would have worked. Yeah. After all, they did have Randy Quaid as Randy Quaid. Yeah, that's that's what we were joking about because our introduction to him is, you know, he, he lands his plane and gets out and kind of stumbles around. And my comment was, oh, so he was just being himself and they filmed it? Yeah. Yeah. If you ever read his public public life, his private life, whatever, it's it's pretty heartbreaking. He's just constantly running from Warrens and smashing up hotel rooms but anyway so yeah and that was another 1996 exclusive thing is that he gets out of the plane and they make jokes about how he's too drunk and pulls out a flask and takes a pull from it i don't think you could get away with being that lighthearted and whimsical about an alcohol problem i feel like he like takes a swig and then he falls against the plane and they have this really lighthearted, uh orchestrated like symbol uh, whatever you want to call it, but it was like, whoa, you know, like he might as well have slipped on a banana peel. There's drunky McDrunkerson being drunk. Yeah. Yeah. There's old Russell crop dust in the wrong field. So when I was younger, I didn't get that when they introduced Bill Pullman as the president, there's these news reports from sky news, I guess Roland Emmerich loves sky news. That's his made up news network. And you can hear the president's approval rating is in the low forties and Charlie Rose is like, we elected a warrior and got a wimp. And so there's like that whole element of the plot. And he doesn't see his wife much, which I guess we don't any either. President. Yeah, any president. She just shows up pretty much to die. Yeah. Which is, yeah, she really does. Which seems like a really, really odd choice, you know, because after having watched the entire film with the pacing of it, I mean, almost everything is very positive. You know, you see all of this mass destruction but then they focus on something like okay you have we'll go back to russell who starts off you know as kind of this worthless drunk character who can't 
you know, get it together. And then he's a hero at the end because of his sacrifice. But then the first lady, you know, she's just randomly found by um, Steve Hiller's, I guess you could say girlfriend slash baby mama. And his girlfriend, baby mama is an exotic dancer who is now driving this truck uh, in the desert looking for people randomly. It's like, oh, the first lady's helicopter crashed and she's the only one who survived. It's like, okay. But apparently, I don't know if it's internal bleeding or I don't, they really didn't explain what kind of bleeding they needed to stop, but there are doctors around to around her who say to the present they can't stop the bleeding, and then it's like they just kill off the first lady because yeah, they have this really emotional climax where Bill Pullman picks up his little girl, and the little girl's like, "Is mommy sleeping?" Bill Pullman says, "Yes, mommy's sleeping," and then she hugs him like she understands that she's gonna die. But other than the fact that Earth is being invaded and annihilated, there's so many plot lines going on that it's been made the point that it's hard to really appreciate the the magnitude of this situation which is really sad because bill pullman i think is very well developed and i really like the bill pullman character and you get a good grasp of him as an authoritative figure and also a you know caring husband and a in a caring father and so then 20 minutes in will smith is introduced which is out of this world insane because Will Smith doesn't do that. I I think that's probably a big reason why he didn't want to do the resurgence is because he needs to be a leading man. But also it was a Suicide Squad thing. Yeah, there's probably a there's probably a shooting conflict because Suicide Squad is going to come out August 5th. So I don't know if those shoots would have conflicted with each other. Plus, too, you know. If you look at the overall scheme of Independence Day, if it was going to play out that he just showed up for a little bit, uh, I haven't seen the sequel to Independence Day, but Jimmy was explaining, and this won't give anything away, that, you know, the children of the main characters from Independence Day are pretty important, so Will Smith, it may not be worth his while to appear in a movie where he just shows up and says, hey, go get him, son, and that's kind of what he does. Yeah, and that's what they would have had to do with the first script and i guess he was signed on he was really excited and scheduling conflict seems to be the code word whenever there's like a falling out or some sort of argument or financial issue that doesn't want to be made public so the original script for the sequel was going to be a more father-son kind of dynamic but will smith had that after earth movie which just bombed embarrassing embarrassingly which I didn't see, but I guess Will Smith pretty much wrote it and hired M. Night Shyamalan to do really just the camera blocking and uh, the cinematography and just to put his name on it. But Will Smith kind of trained his son because uh, this was the first big thing his son was in. And then when it bombed, M. Night Shyamalan took credit for it and kind of took the blame for it. which Because I, he's used to it by this point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think that's also kind of your job as the director. Tell them when it's complete crap. Yeah, you're like the captain. that You got to go down with your ship. So, um, yeah, I think he probably wasn't in a big hurry to be in the sequel. Well, plus two with, with Will Smith, it's interesting because bringing up Suicide Squad, he's doing something that he normally wouldn't do. I mean, the trailer kind of makes him out to be, uh, you know, Will Smith being Will Smith. But if you think about it, he is a villain because uh, the Suicide Squad... They're villains. They're villains sent on high-risk missions, and the government says, well, if you die, you die, and we're not taking the fall for anything that you do. Congratulations. So uh, Will Smith is dead shot. So 
I don't know. I wonder if he will move into territory that like other established actors who don't have to make money, like because there was a Will Smith rule before that Will Smith will only do movies that meet these criteria that will mm-hmm. be blockbusters and Suicide Squad very well could be one, but he's definitely not in the mold that we're used to, like from, you know, Independence Day and Men in Black and everything else that he's done. Yeah, he's definitely marked his territory with the blockbusters. He's done plenty of sequels. Anna would make fun of me because she have met, I've told her this fact like 30 times, but... He turned down the role of Neo in The Matrix so that he could play Jim West in Wild Wild West, which is too bad. But I'm really... And and I like Will Smith. I think he's a very talented actor. I don't dislike him. It seems like he's reached his peak with these emotional dramas like Concussion and Pursuit of Happiness and Seven Pounds. And you, it's like you've reached the ceiling of Blockbuster, so then you move to emotional dramas, and then you've reached the ceiling of that, so... It's time to see, I guess, see what else he can do. And I'm I'm excited to see what, what he looks like in this because he doesn't share the screen very well, typically. And there's a lot of A-list people in this. But every trailer I've seen for Suicide Squad, as soon as Will Smith's shown, he has some sort of show-stealing line like, let's go save the world. They did a lot of reshoots, too, yeah, for Suicide Squad. And the, the trailers I've seen have mostly focused on Harley Quinn. So the reason you have the Harley Quinn focus is probably because of her relationship with the Joker. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting. But, you know, here we have an Independence Day, Will Smith, essentially being Will Smith. We meet him as a family man. And I, I guess maybe I missed what he does in the military. He's a captain. And maybe, uh, would it be the Army or Air Force? I don't know. I think Air Force. Let's just say Air Force. And we may, whatever. So (laughs) he flies an airplane and, you know, he also loses his uh, buddy too, uh, played by Harry Connick Jr. Actually, one theory I had is like, why not just send Harry Connick Jr. up to croon to the aliens? Wouldn't that just get them to, you know, fly away? Yeah. After that? But yeah, that was one of the roles that I did enjoy. They have a really great scene where... Steve Hiller is in the locker room and he has like a denial letter from NASA. You get this impression that he's applied to NASA, you know, to go on a space mission multiple times and they keep denying him. So uh, I think uh, Harry Connick Jr. is what, Jimmy Jimmy Wilder? Mm-hmm. And there's uh, this ring that Steve Hiller has and I think he's about to propose to his girlfriend Jasmine and it's like a dolphin ring. And they somehow position Jimmy Wilder so he's on his knee in the locker room right in front of um, Steve Hiller. And there's this random guy in the background. Yeah. And it's probably much funnier on film than the way I'm describing it because, <laughs> like, you think, oh, yeah, that's, like, something awkward that you would see on a Friends episode. Yeah, It's yeah. like, no, it's just the way they did it was right. And yeah, it was, a, it was a great sight gag. They have a lot of little stuff like that that really works well in this film as far as humor goes. Like, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the really um, small reference to... 2001 a space odyssey you know like the hello day when he opens his computer like there is some stuff that's like legitimately funny that i did really laugh out loud at yeah which i'd forgotten about yeah i'm guessing if you're listening to this it's probably been some time since you've rewatched the original unless you rewatched it before seeing the sequel but uh it's probably gonna hold up better than you're imagining i w- i sat down and turned it on hoping hoping among hoping that it was gonna be like a mystery science theater episode 
but it really wasn't. And the effects I remember at the time were mind blowing. They're still pretty good. They're yeah, still they're pretty still solid. Pretty good. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say is that the effects certainly aren't laughable, and um, the miniatures that were made for the movie were incredible. Like the the one for the White House, I think stands out the most. And I think the model that they used was like ten feet wide. And like four feet tall or something like that, which of course gets blown to smithereens. But I think because of this movie coming out in 96 and it was right on the cusp of, well, really invention of the massive CGI. I don't think any movie accomplished special effects on like a miniature scale that this movie did and probably never will again because it's kind of like one of those lost arts, you know, like animatronics or something that's really incredibly effective, like Anybody who goes back and watches the last 20 minutes of the thing, I guarantee you will give you nightmares. Yeah, that's an incredible film. And that's what I would, uh, in terms of, you know, standard, I, standard doesn't mean low quality, but, you know, let's just say old school creature effects or, you know, traditional creature effects. That's probably a better word for it. That film to me is the standard. And uh, speaking of which, one film that we kept on bringing up while watching Independence Day was Star Wars because you have a few shots that are very similar. Um, the alien spacecraft or spacecrafts, whatever you want to call them, are very similar to some things from the Star Wars universe. Uh, the sounds that the smaller ones make are similar to TIE fighters or X-Wing fighters. And you can tell one of the first shots of the alien ship is an ode to Star Wars because it's pretty much uh, this the Star Destroyer shot that's so famous from uh, A New Hope where you're just looking at the planet and then all of a sudden you have this huge spacecraft coming in and obscuring the entire view and it's the bottom of the spacecraft. So I think they they did that on purpose. They're not trying to rip anyone off. You know, it's not like a, a Battlefield Earth scenario where like, hey, uh, what's a Dutch angle? Let's use <laughs> yeah. it for every single yeah, shot. Yeah, right. <laughs> just tilt it. Yeah. Tilt it. Til- oh, there we go. <laughs> more. More. Yeah, we were talking about any science fiction movie that comes out that's going to have any like semblance of a space battle. There's going to be maybe some people who are like, oh, Star Wars, rip off. But there's a lot of ways to, you know, like this shot that we're talking about in Independence Day. It was one of the opening scenes. And yeah, the spaceship does this like slow crawl starting at the top of the screen. And then it just completely engulfs the screen to you know show you size and there's lots of different ways to do that and different movies will you know be more creative in in portraying that but i think this one like ben said was pretty obviously supposed to be a reference you know and uh the 2001 when he opens up his computer dave levinson ironically named after david levinson but um the voice says good morning dave it's fun. It's cute. It's like a nice little love letter to science fiction film. Well, even the the aerial battles that they have, um, you can tell with certain shots that they're on purpose trying to duplicate, you know, like the, the trenches of the Death Star, mm-hmm. you know, like those uh, those tunnels, if you want to to call them that. Even the, um, you know, the way that they're trying to take down the aliens is very similar to the second Death Star battle in uh, Return of the Jedi because it's very similar to, okay, we need to get their shields down. We need to take out this one bunker on Endor. It's like, okay, replace that with the virus. And it's kind of the same thing, but I really don't mind like when you're, you're paying homage, like if they had called the movie, you know, like um, galactic battles and they had like 
hand Ono and I mean I guess we're probably talking to to an audience who's already seen Independence Day because it's so prevalent but oh David David Firestein I love David Firestein you don't see him anymore but he was most known for one of the gratuitously gay brothers in Mrs Doubtfire and he was also in Independence Day unique his, voice. Yeah, his voice is just wonderful. He's the guy that's like, oh, my God, David. Oh, my God, I got to call my mother. I got to call my lawyer. Yeah. I could just kiss you. And then he, I think he does He does kiss him on the lips, too. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, Amy, my fiance, has been watching Friends, and it's really interesting how uh, different media in the mid going up to late 90s would handle the issue of homosexuality like – with friends, I found it. I find it kind of unsettling because there's kind of like a negative connotation to being associated with homosexuality in Friends, especially with the Chandler character. Actually, we were talking about this on on Friday for First Friday, and they have like just a lot of stuff like, "Oh, she's a lesbian," or "Oh, someone thinks you're gay and it's a bad thing." But then you have a character like this, which is in the same time frame. He's just like, "Oh, he's a professional," and you can probably tell by his mannerisms that he's supposed to be gay. Even I don't know if this actor he may be like he may be gay in real life. Yeah, I'm not maybe sure. that voice is totally a character. Yeah, he could totally be a character, but I know in this film he just sounds kind of like like a chain smoking gay man. But they don't really draw that out. They don't like draw attention to the yeah, fact that he could be. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny what you said about Friends. This isn't a scene, but I feel like the way that they would handle comedy and a gay character in Friends is that they would put a gay guy in the same room as Chandler, and then it becomes a game of, like, this gay guy trying to, like, corner Chandler. Like, oh, I like him. He's, I'm gay. He's not. I'm going to try to get in his pants. You know, it's this uh, stigma of because a man uh, is interested in other men, that must mean that he's interested in every other man. Yeah. Uh, which is just a very primitive sentiment but that's why i'm giving independence day kudos with right, the way that right. they handled it because i found the character hilarious and not like stereotypical uh i kind of like the fact that he he seemed like the kind of guy who would drink like five cups of maybe like not just five cups of coffee day like five pots of coffee day because he's like all over the place like yeah. kind of like hey what are we gonna do yeah i need to do this, this and this like like the the final scene you see him and he's like on the phone in his car like uh, talking about a house in the Hamptons. Yeah, like. he is. He's finally calling his lawyer. So yeah, and the uh, yeah, he's uh, going through his list of who I need to call and warn. He's like, I gotta call my mother. I gotta call my brother. I gotta call my lawyer. And in the original cut, he says, Ah, f- my lawyer. So they cut it to forget my lawyer. And then yeah, at the, right before he dies, he is calling the lawyer. So he's a he's a good guy. He was gonna he was gonna call his lawyer. I think the small characters really do make this movie. The doctor. Yeah, it's brackish. I guess brackish is like an kind of an old timey word for dirty or like dirty water. Busted up. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I think of when I think of brackish. It'd be almost like sewage water or swamp water that you wouldn't want to drink, which is interesting because I know that the way that they portray the doctor is not in the most positive light because he has to know that the world is under attack and that a lot of people have died, and he calls, you know. So they have this this spaceship at Area 51. They've had it for a while. It, it's one of those deals where they're trying to like bring in real life stuff for this film. They're saying, "Oh, this is a spacecraft that they found at Roswell," 
And, you know, this doctor is uh, excited because the spacecraft is coming back to life, some of the functionalities that they haven't been able to access. But he just, uh, he seems like the kind of character who would be on X-Files, like like the lone gunman, um, like those episodes, like those guys. So, eh. I I I liked him too. I think it was just like his mannerisms and the the different looks that he had. Like he that he was kind of crazy, but he'd be like uh, more of the uh, funny kind of eccentric guy, not the one who's gonna you know be the mad scientist who tries yeah. to blow up the world. Yeah, he kind of struck me as like a middle school science teacher. Yeah, it's funny they're taught when they introduce the spacecraft. He's Doctor Brackish is saying that you know all of like Ben said all of these. Buttons have been turning on and the lights have been coming on. And he's like, the last 24 hours have been really exciting. And Bill Pullman has this really gut-wrenching, exciting? I don't think the word, that's the word I would use to describe. But these people live underground. Their whole lives are working on this technology. And they're probably not watching the news. They're probably not aware of what's happening to the state of the world. So it's kind of an interesting parallel to you know how some because it it would be exciting and uh i really like that character they brought him back for the sequel which is funny because you kind of got the impression that he died in independence day because the alien wraps its tentacles around his neck and they speak through him which i think i thought was a interesting writing decision to not have the aliens possess vocal cords i liked it though yeah i thought that was cool so in the sequel i'll not like i said i'll try to not be spoily but they just had him in a coma for 20 years, which... Eh. Seems like a soap opera tactic. Yeah, it seems like a real easy cop-out. And the difference between 96 and 2016, other than 20 years, is that we've been conditioned to expect more out of movies and to ask more questions and to just demand more out of what we're being shown. And especially through sequels... Uh, because a lot of people are going to have high hopes with this one. And the ending the ending to Independence Day, which I, I won't go into, because if you like the first one, you should see the second one. It's fine. Yeah, so they brought the Oaken character back, and they put an emphasis on the Oaken character and another one of the scientists from the original Independence Day, who's also back, and they have put them in a relationship together, these two males. So we find out that Dr. Oaken is gay or that they're wanting you to think that he's gay because I guess Roland Emmerich said in some press statement that there was going to be a gay couple in it, which I read on a reputable source. But I don't know what the question would have been. (laughs) The answer would have been, there's going to be a gay couple in this one. I don't know why that would be late-breaking news. Hold the phone. Yeah. I think, too... Uh, the the scene from Independence Day that Jimmy's referring to was highly necessary because they're in a lab. They have uh, the alien that's still alive that um, has crash-landed. That's the one of the scenes that's probably most identifiable with Independence Day. You know, uh, Will Smith opens this spacecraft and punches this alien <laughs> and then is dragging the alien across the desert in a parachute. So they eventually end up at Area 51, so the doctor is dissecting it, and we see its hands move, and we realize, oh, it's still alive, and there's an alien within the alien. It's like, it reminds me of like a Master Blaster scenario or something. Um, There's like a little alien controlling the larger alien, whatever. But 
I think the, the that scene was highly necessary because it just built a sense of dread that you might not have felt before. It added almost a horror element yeah, too. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna um, say. The the scene was very reminiscent of you know something from the thing or you know from the the Alien franchise. It has that sense of what's going to happen when they open it up, and the the last you know we see of the doctor in independence day is he's just on the floor having his vitals checked so they really didn't necessarily need to put him in a coma um the only thing that's wrong with this scene is what happens after so the alien is in the mind of the president president whitmore and apparently when that happens they can share thoughts and all of a sudden president whitmore's just like oh they go from planet to planet and they use up the resources to move on to the next planet but the whole film, like with different scenes, has led you to believe that anyway, yeah, that yeah. they're there to take over the planet. And you just had a scene before where the alien speaks through the doctor saying, hey, no, president, we don't want to negotiate peace. That's not what they say, but the alien just pretty much speaks through the doctor saying, we want you to die. Yeah, and... Why do you think they're there? Yeah, and Dr. Oaken had literally just said... They're as fragile as we are. If one, you know, one got killed in a plane, in breathe a, oxygen. Yeah, they breathe oxygen. Furthermore, that's probably why they're interested in Earth. So the fact that they're able to share thoughts that gives the movie a really interesting potential to give us some really just cool information about these aliens and like where they come from or where they're going or whatever. And they choose to tell us something we already know. That's that's unfortunate. It would have been pretty awesome if the thought sharing scene wasn't necessarily dialogue, but shots of different things like from the aliens perspective, totally instead of beating the viewer over the head with what they probably already know if they've been paying attention up to this point. But once again, that's, that's kind of the, the pitfall you get into when you're looking at blockbusters, you know, like a few times we've, we've talked about the evolution of the blockbuster over time and how people have higher standards in 1996 whether it was through focus groups or something else or a big board meeting about this film, maybe they had the script written up to that point and they may have thought, well, you know, what's the best way we can reveal the intentions of these aliens? And somebody might have said, hey, haven't we already done it up to this point? But then somebody might have said, well, why don't we just have the president say what the aliens are there to do? Mm-hmm. I don't even think they needed to give the aliens intentions at all because um, I know they showed it was footage from what the original um, the day the earth stood still, mm-hmm. like when, um, I think it's Miguel smacking the TV or his younger brother, but it's like, Oh, they showed that shot just to show you don't need to give aliens any motivation. Yeah, they can just destroy really... things. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it really answers any question to say they go from planet to planet, destroying resources. Like, well, that would have been my natural assumption anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't even, I didn't think about that. Show a montage of aliens destroying other planets. Just show us some landscapes on fire or something. Yeah. Or hopefully not um, what the aliens did to Russell 10 years earlier. Oh, because God, yeah. I don't know if you've mentioned that, but that's part of one of the side plots is that um, Russell claims, you know, 10 years prior to the events of Independence Day that uh, he was abducted by aliens and uh, abused. Yeah. Let's just say, let's just use that term. The aliens did things to him sexually (laughs) so yeah so back to the side plot so then there's jeff goldblum and judd hirsch who i love judd hirsch he has some of the most hilariously they try so hard to beat over your head that he's jewish (laughs) he like he's in the car and he's he says schlemiel and he says schmuck 
and every every line he's in, it's that that line should just be, "I'm Jewish. Do you get it? Do you get it?" I was waiting for him to say "schlep." Yeah, we right. gotta schlep ourselves over to Washington D.C. You punch the president. Yeah, I think the most unbelievable thing in this movie is that Jeff Goldblum would start a fight with anybody. Yeah, there's a there's a line where he he said that Jeff Goldblum walked into a room and punched another man in the head, and I just I just don't believe that. I just I love to watch Jeff Goldblum. He adds pauses and little ums and uhs that are I can't be scripted because you can't you can't write that. You know, one one of the lines was, uh, yeah yeah let's um let's try it again. No oops, no oops this time. He just has these little like nuances that are just so incredibly Jeff Goldblum. Life uh finds a way. I it just makes him so much fun to watch. Well, I I love the ridiculous scene too where they're driving to Washington D.C. and you know of course his his dad's gonna have uh, a vintage sports car that's in mint condition for well reasons, and then it's like okay they're going to Washington D.C. they're driving in traffic the right way but then people have started driving the wrong way and then they just get off a ramp and oh hey here's a white house yeah they like drive they they like they drive through these construction barricades so now they're on a on a off ramp and then like the next scene is them pulling up to the white house which is just kind of funny but if we're going to talk about not really plot holes but more inconsistencies there's a scene where harry connick jr says to Will Smith, he's like, NASA's never going to hire you, buddy, when you're dating a stripper. And then it cuts to Vivica A. Fox doing a very PG-13 strip, which is fine. And then she is in the back room, and she's like, I just came to pick up my check, and they talked me into working. So, But it was just really funny, the idea that she would have her bags packed with her son and dog and goes to pick up her check, and he's, she's like, all right, I'll, I'll work for six or seven hours. Dylan, do you mind waiting in the storeroom with the dog for like seven hours so mommy can go make an extra $200? It's interesting, though, because I think out of all the characters who have their side plots, Jasmine, the exotic dancer, is the least interesting because her only function is to pretty much show up and drive searching for people. She is the source of probably the most ridiculous scene in terms of science because, you know, they're driving through traffic, you know, big explosion, and, you know, they're uh, running into a tunnel, and she and her son reach the tunnel. There's, like, this utility closet or something, and then, oh, no, the dog's still in the car, so the dog is jumping from car to car, jumps into the utility closet as fire whooshes behind him. It's just like, okay... One of the next scenes after that is all these destroyed buildings. It's just like, oh, uh, this explosion destroyed all these buildings, but not the tunnel they were in. Yeah, that <laughs> that's was... what I love about movies like this. So I love how they ignore science because you get to laugh at it. It's just like the writers would probably think the same thing too. Yeah, yeah, because it, you know, so much money goes into this, you know, to these to this budget. I think they said the budget was. It's it's why dr- drinking games were made out of movies like this. Drink every time you see an inconsistency with science. It's just like within the first 20 minutes, you'd probably be on the floor puking your guts out. Yeah, exactly. They spend so much time and effort on this realistic explosion. And then you jump into a room that's like perpendicular to the explosion and the explosion just passes you by. It doesn't fill the room that you're in. I don't. But at the same time, when I saw that in 96, I don't remember thinking about that. Nobody did. Cause, I was like, cool explosion. Yeah. Oh, the dog just barely made it. No singed tail or anything. 
Well, I'd say, it, like, speaking of things that were just off, you know, toward the end, Miguel is somehow in the war room. You know, you have all these high-ranking military officials who are, you know, commanding all of these pilots, and Miguel's, you know, just standing there almost nonchalantly. It's just like, so the they think that the world could end, but they relax all of their security standards, and there's no guard at the door when some kid walks up. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally like get that. that he wants to watch his father finally bring some pride into the family, but... Uh, Randy Quaid's character is literally drinking the whole movie. Uh, he's drinking the same pint of whiskey the whole movie. And then towards the end, Adam Baldwin is trying to recruit anybody with flight experience. And Randy Quaid stumbles up with a pint and he's like, I can fly. Like how desperate for, for pilots is the government when you're going to let this guy, I don't know. And then it cuts to him drinking coffee. And there's this whole unspoken attitude of like, yeah, you're finally doing something. Well, it's, it's strange too because in that scene – he did mention that he was in Nam, Russell does, and said that he crop dusted. But earlier in the movie, there's like a newspaper clipping, like a picture of him. I think it's uh, it's from the news story of him where he's in a fighter pilot's uniform, but he doesn't mention that. Yeah, he just mentions Nam. Yeah, that's kind of strange. It is you think necessary. he's like, oh, by the way, I flew these things, yeah. like not just a crop dusting plane, but military aircraft. Yeah, so there were a lot of funny inconsistencies with the whole last 20 minutes because the movie's two and a half hours long. There's a lot that could have been cut, but it seems like the whole last big hurrah, like the last 20 minutes was just so rushed. Jeff Goldblum explains how he's going to implant this virus into the alien ship, and because it's internet-related, like we discussed earlier, 1996 was like the birth of the internet, basically, so... You don't have to explain anything. Upload virus, sequence initiated, negotiations commencing, whatever. We're not going to question that. And one of the officials, Lip Nicky, one of the guys of the cabinet is like, we don't even know how to fly these things. And Will Smith steps up very confidently. And he's like, sir, I'm well, I'm well aware of their maneuvering. I'm confident that I can fly this. Yeah, I've seen a helicopter in action. Doesn't mean I know how to fly one. Um, but he does. He, he, he has it mastered right away which is really impressive but the technology yeah. of the navigation system is basically like a flight simulator my the theory is that off camera the alien that he punched tried to take over his mind they shared thoughts and that alien transplanted hey that's not a bad transplanted idea. his knowledge of flying the aircraft into hiller's mind that's not bad we should go back and swatch that scene in slow motion see if there's a tentacle wrapped around will smith's hand because i bet there is maybe his boot yeah, probably. maybe his boot. We don't see, you know, the tentacles kind of go all over the place when he when he opens that spacecraft that has crash landed. So maybe there is a tentacle that we didn't know about. You know, the mystery tentacle. It got cut because you know. So yeah, that was a pretty another pretty funny thing that was interesting about the uh, the whole science element. Um, I made a joke to Ben about the movie The Net with Sandra Bullock because I don't know why it's one of those weird like bad, good movies that for some reason I really enjoy watching from time to time. So Jeff Goldblum is destroying Area 51 in a drunken rage, and his dad comes out and makes a joke and says, you're going to catch a cold. Jeff Goldblum's like, that reminds me. I just invented the computer virus, and that is how we're going to disable this alien ship. And then he explains that once you upload the virus, you have a couple minutes to... 
basically the alien shield, the mothership's alien shield is going to be disabled for a couple minutes, which causes all of the ships around the world to also be disabled. So they'll have a window to uh, take down these ships. And he knows this because uh, reasons. <laughs> David's anyway, got the plan. And then the brilliant Robert Loja is like, spread the word. Let's take these sons of bitches down. But this is must be like half an hour after the virus has been implanted. Yeah, the timing's so a little off. They should have just said it'll disable the ships for an hour instead of a couple minutes, because that doesn't make any sense. Because Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are in the mothership, and their ship gets jammed when they try to escape, and then says you have 30 seconds to get the F out of here, basically, and that's like four minutes of screen time. So I, I don't know. Sometimes you want to give the movie a pass because you think to yourself, okay, well, maybe this added time is caused by us watching shots that are all happening at the same time, but we can't watch them all at the same time. So we're not seeing them necessarily sequentially. It's not linear, but it's like we're jumping from one thing to another. It's actually happening at the same time. And once again, like they, they bend the rules of science so much that at that point you're probably, probably not thinking about how accurate it is because there have been so many inaccuracies anyway they're just like eh whatever yeah that that's i think that that's uh one of the main reasons why putting you know something like the earth is still the original putting footage of that in there to me that just gives me the impression that yeah that's what we're kind of going for in terms of the vibe just take one of those movies like those old sci-fi movies and give them a bigger budget and that's what this is that's what it plays it's just like yeah it's an alien invasion flick yeah, and I didn't. I I wanted to clarify that I I did like this. I still like this movie, and uh, because I have a 2016 mindset watching a 1996 movie, I'm just gonna have little uh, complaints that just come along with yeah. being uh, somebody that's no longer clouded by bad screenwriting. I guess because the, yeah, Resurgence. I watched half of Independence Day. Was pleasantly surprised. Watched Resurgence. Was enraged. Then rewatched Independence Day and was just wanted to embrace it. Um, well, it's one of those things too. Like it's to me not fair to dislike a movie for what it isn't. You know, that's like me rewatching Bloodsport and saying huh, the character development in this is just so lousy. The dialogue <laughs> is just crap. You know, it's just okay. So what were they? What were they trying to do with this film? Probably show off some special effects. Obviously, they wanted it to be a blockbuster. They did have some character stuff, but they weren't necessarily concerned about, you know, this being a drama or a thriller. It's just like, okay, you have some sci-fi, you have some action, put them together, you know. And, and that's the thing, too. I, I really do enjoy watching Independence Day, and I was pleasantly surprised watching it again because I didn't really know what to expect because, you know, it was a blockbuster at the time. I think that blockbusters have gotten a little bit better over time, and I was thoroughly entertained and i like the fact that they kind of embrace the you know this is completely wacky and doesn't make sense but we're gonna do it anyway kind of mind frame because i enjoy that yeah no i i think that there was a lot that could have been cut just with the randy oh, yeah. quaid just with the randy quaid element there was like this guy who's an alcoholic who's on the verge of losing his job his son miguel who is not his real son who's his business partner in some regard who totally resents him and like is like watching his life fall apart. Then Randy Quaid's actual son Troy, who uh, has a disease, hates having a, a disease, kind of has a tumultuous relationship with his brother, 
And then their sister, who uh, makes out or almost makes out with Andrew Keegan because he doesn't want her to die a virgin. And then at the very end of the movie, that girl is talking to this kid with the curliest hair I've ever seen. And they're in the bunker of Area 51. And she says, you don't want to die a virgin, do you? And then he says something that I couldn't really hear, but Ben said it had something to do with like making it out of here, like being together or something weird probably like, reference to heaven that was to me that was like the weirdest she was a weirdest side character out of all of them because yeah she, she doesn't need a story she added absolutely nothing like you could have taken her character out of the film and everything would have been exactly the same i mean you may say that okay possibly she adds to the economic struggle of what russell's going through with his family because you may argue that that family has two supporters with whatever Miguel brings in because you get the sense that he's working. But outside of that, it's just like, no, she doesn't really add anything. She's just there to say a couple of lines just about another, being a just virgin. Just another mouth to feed. Yeah. But I, and then Miguel says, who do you think has to beg for food when you mess up? But, but whatever, you know, you, you look past it. You forgive some things. Cause it's a, it's a fun movie. That's a problem too, because if like, if, if they wanted to play down, the special effects and the action let's just say in a parallel universe independence day isn't an action film and the alien invasion is just you know a catalyst for the drama and you're focusing on a family yeah then it would be a big deal if you just had this daughter character who is well essentially just there to say two things but in the scheme of a two and a half hour film with so many different characters and storylines where the the purpose of everyone is pretty much to advance the plot and you know the action is just like meh you can shrug a lot more yeah since resurgence just came out i won't say too much except i'm i'm glad that will smith wasn't in it i know they had to rewrite a bunch of the storyline after he dropped out but his son is one of the main roles and uh liam hemsworth is in it and it's just a cast of a bunch of, like, 22-somethings that I didn't really recognize. I guess Liam Neeson from the Hunger Games movies, but um, I guess of all the... Uh, Did you say Liam Neeson? Li- Did I say Liam Neeson? Yeah. Liam Hemsworth. Yikes. <laughs> Liam Neeson was not in the Hunger Games. Liam Neeson is aging in reverse and becoming a Hemsworth. <laughs> I would. You know what, though? I would not doubt it because Liam Neeson is a badass man. He can do whatever he wants. He is. Although I saw this hilarious breakdown of a scene from Tooken. Tooken. Uh, I like to call it Tooken. Tooken. Tooken 3. My, my wife and my daughter got Tooken. <laughs> <laughs> and he, it's just a 10-second clip of him running up to a fence, jumping over the fence, and then running away from the fence. But there's 23 takes. <laughs> there's 23 different angles in, a, in 10 seconds of movie. It is really funny to watch. And then you watch it with in just the one take, and it's really sad because he's 50 something and i'm not knocking on him being an action star that's fine but i also think there's a lot of we gotta do another take and i gotta show the world i can still do it i gotta show him i still got it uh and and you don't man you're good we believe you just don't give us another token maybe they should call it like maybe Tuken. they should cross over with tekken oh token tag you could have yeah. law the guy with Tuken, the took in tag tournament Oh, I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, we got we got something that works here. Let's uh, call up these video game and movie companies and get something 
Get something Call started. Call that Konami. Dear listeners, don't steal this idea. Yes, please don't. Or if you own the rights to these things, uh, don't sue us. Maybe we should do the Street Fighter movie. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> Not yet. Not until they remake it. M. Bison, baby, which probably shouldn't take too long, right? Uh, Everything's being remade or yeah. rebooted, I mean. I know. So the next one's going to be the Ghostbusters reboot, which will probably do the Ghostbusters movie because me and Anna have kind of gotten heated about the Ghostbusters trailer because i think it looks really really bad yeah i think it looks really bad too and i'm i totally support an all female crew that's not what i have a problem with but it seems like they're trying to meet their pc standards and they want a a black female character which is great but if we can remember just for a moment the oh god what's his name from ghostbusters 2 the winston character ernie hudson ernie hudson i knew that yeah, the and he Ernie plays, Hudson. And he plays Winston. Yeah. His character's name is Winston. So the Ernie Hudson character did not get a lot of play in the Ghostbusters 2. And I guess he got really upset because he had a lot more screen time and that ended up getting cut for Bill Murray stuff. But he wasn't, you know, he, he just, he kind of played a black everyman. And this character they got for the new Ghostbusters is like, oh, oh hell nah. I'm from the streets. Stereotypical black character. And I feel like in trying to mix it up and add some diversity, they've completely stereotyped. I don't know. But- See, that's that's the reason why I um, I love when movies turn that concept on its head. Like, um, what am I thinking of here? It'll come to me. Oh, Cabin in the Woods. Like, you have not just a black character, but you have a black character who's a football player. And with this film... But the way it opens, like if you have no idea about it, you're like, oh, these guys are going to be dumb. And here comes this guy who, you know, is a wide receiver. He has the best hands on the team. And he also happens to be intelligent, like almost brilliant. And he studies and he's actually a good guy. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Then you have like the stoner who becomes a hero. Mm-hmm. Like they have all these things. It's like, oh, that's really refreshing when you have a movie that is kind of about like they kind of take a meta approach with cabin in the woods but they take an approach where you have all these stereotypes and you turn them completely on their heads when you do the exact opposite and you follow the stereotypes it can be really cringeworthy because amy and i went to see x-men apocalypse a few weeks ago and the new ghostbusters film was one of the trailers and for one i thought the the cgi looked questionable but then with this this female black character just kind of like well is that what she's going to do? Like, is she going to be a stereotype? And are they all going to be stereotypes? Like, are they? is this going to be intelligent? And are they going to honor women for what they have to offer? Or is it just going to be like, oh, we're just doing this to have women flood the theaters and there's no substance behind it at all? That was my problem. It's not the yeah. fact that they're all females, but if you're going to do that and do something different... At least honor it, you know. Yeah, I feel like it's more of a disservice. I don't know. I, yeah. I guess I can't. We might be overanalyzing it because it's Ghostbusters. I know, and also I can't uh, represent the African American woman of the world. So I'm uh, just speak for yourself. I'm just. <laughs> I was just thinking about Ghostbusters two the other day and how much I love Ernie Hudson and everything that he does, especially Congo, one of my favorite Ernie Hudson movies. And uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the Ghostbusters when that gets a little bit closer because I was definitely thrilled to go see the new Independence Day movie because it when it came out, it was just it was a block. It was like a popcorn blockbuster summer flick. So I thought, how bad can they mess it up? I mean, 
the the list of ingredients on why this film works is not uh, a mystery to the world. Explosions. Ex- yeah, explosions. Explosions, aerial and, battles. Uh, give us some relatable characters. Give us a happy ending. Give us some funny lines. Aliens. And uh, Bill Pullman has this really cringeworthy. They they try to like outdo his Independence Day speech in the new Independence Day. And his old speech, if you don't remember, was really, really good. I liked it. Not goosebump-inducing, but still really good. And so he starts to do this speech in the new Independence Day, and he's like this crazy old kook that has night terrors and this great big bushy beard, and they let him be a fighter pilot again after zero training. But he starts talking to somebody, and then he just starts talking louder and louder, and then he just like goes into the speech, but he's really just like yelling at somebody that's five feet, I don't know. Go watch it, see what you think. I didn't like it, but that's okay. I did like Independence Day, that's the point. The one thing I will say that I really, really appreciated about this movie is that it takes place a little bit, I think it took, it was like 2023 or something like that, that Resurgence takes place. But our, the technology for everything, whether it be like news media outlets to entertainment to government, you know, war, whatever, every, all of the, technology is light years ahead of where you would expect and the reason is because after the war of 96 we were able to disable and kind of dismantle some of their technology and we found a way to use it to our advantage so i kind of like the idea that the world has become a better and safer place because of this whole they keep saying war of 96 and the tagline for the new independence day is we had 20 years to prepare so did they that's good i like that uh, there was a tagline on the Casey's Pizza box yesterday that I really liked, <laughs> and I'm in marketing. I think it was something to the effect of a balanced diet is a piece of pizza in each hand. I was like, oh, my God. You guys understand <laughs> me? Finally, <laughs> someone gets it. And a big chunk of Nutella on top. Of the uh, bacon breakfast pizza. Yeah. Who cares? Nutella on everything. Go crazy. Um. Okay. Well, that's been uh, that's been a good time. That's about all I have to say on Independence Day. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I like I said, I was pleasantly surprised because sometimes when you go back and watch movies, you have that veil of nostalgia ripped away, and a lot of times it's not a good ripping away. You're like, wow, I really held this movie in high regard, but I also haven't watched it in a decade. And it's complete crap. Well, I didn't get that feeling from Independence Day. I would, I would probably watch it again if I had, you know, some extra downtime. And I don't know if I'll see Resurgence in theaters because the trailer didn't really do a whole lot for Maybe me. Maybe I'll get you nice and liquored up and take you to go see it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's watch the bootleg that was shot on uh, somebody's iPhone, maybe. With yeah. coughing and popcorn crunching, but exactly. I thought they did a pretty good job considering the fact that they had, you know, so many characters. And, you know, I, I love sci-fi, so sometimes it's easy to dismiss a movie if you watch a lot of them. And the fact that it came out in 1996, you know, there was a possibility of it having bad special effects. And all of the things in my mind that I thought of that could go completely wrong didn't go wrong and were actually, you know, positives. Even the inconsistencies, for the most part, are positives to me because, like, oh, I love B-movies and here's this huge budget movie that kind of has the spirit of a B-movie, like... Uh, let's just try this thing and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, I got a cold and my dad's standing right there. So that turns into the plot <laughs> device that, you know, takes down a sophisticated alien mothership. Okay. That's all I got to see. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you know, it's it's difficult to go wrong with, you know, certain 
actors for me. Like I love Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum and probably anything. I'd probably watch anything that they're in. Yeah. I was almost disappointed how much the movie held up because I mentioned I was hoping to kind of sit down and laugh at it. Destroy it. And uh, yeah. But I couldn't because it's still pretty respectable. There were terrible special effects that came after 1996, and there were terrible special effects that came before 1996. So you never know when you're in this 10-year window when you sit down to watch a movie. Sometimes they're still bad. Um, Where I work, there's a fitness center, and I was there a couple of days ago just getting a quick workout in. So they have TVs, and sometimes they'll turn on FX. They were playing uh, the Tom Cruise movie Oblivion, which came out in 2012, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, FX plays mildly interesting movies. I'll just leave this on, like glance at the screen in between sets. And there is a scene where he and another, he and a female character are driving across a desert, and I think it's supposed to be, you know, the remnants of the Golden Gate Bridge because it's kind of like um, a fallout zone. And... I was just shocked. The CGI was so bad, and it was in 2012, and I think it was a movie with, you know, a pretty high budget, Oblivion, and it looked like CGI from, you know, the advent of CGI, like when it started, like, you know, I'm thinking like maybe 97, 98, maybe really low budget from the early 2000s, so... You can still get it wrong even when you have a huge budget. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've definitely done plenty of movies to show that. Well, as per usual, Movie Show Theater is helped sponsored by Acme Comics at 2218 West Glen Avenue here in Peoria. They are a wonderful haven for anything from music, vinyl, CDs. I don't think they have any cassette tapes anymore, but they definitely have at least three walls of VHS, maybe more. Uh, you can buy, sell, trade, used comics, movies, games, board games, movie books, superhero pint glasses, anything of the sort. So thanks to them. And if you want to hear other podcasts, other episodes of the podcast that we've done, you can find links on our Facebook page for Movie Show Theater. We have a SoundCloud. You can go to SoundCloud.com, type in Movie Show Theater, and boom, there we are. And uh, you can hear us every Tuesday at 9, right here on Community Radio 90.7. So I guess next week, the hairspray? Yeah, we can do hairspray. So until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. And you've been listening to a movie? Shh. Oh. Ear. (laughs) Ear. (laughs) Movie show theater.